Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, we have a guest speaker, Carl Moore, with a message entitled, Every Member a Minister, will be in Ephesians chapter 4. And now, here's Pastor Carl. So we're going to look at a couple different things. First of all, we're going to look at the equippers of the church, those that are called to be the coaches to all of us. If we're the players, we need coaches because we need to be told and shown and prepared and equipped as to how we're supposed to get out into this game, how we're supposed to go out there and win the goals that Christ has for us and do the work that He wants. Well, how are we supposed to play the game? Then we're going to look at the ministers of the church, which is basically us. When you think of the ministers of the church, most people think, oh, Pastor Ralph, he's our minister. Or Carl up there, the youth minister. You think of all these leadership positions when, again, the word minister simply means servant. And so when God calls us all, every Christian, I don't care if you just got saved yesterday, he says every Christian is called to do ministry, to serve in the body of Christ. And we're going to look, look at that and how that applies to us as if we looked at these people who are the equippers, they're our coaches, well, then we're the players. And it's the players that get out there and win the game. You can't expect the coaches to get out there. Can you imagine like an NBA basketball team or something and the players say, oh, no, we don't need to do it. You guys know everything. And so you get all of these coaches, these 50, 60-year-old guys out there on the court trying to compete with these 20-year-olds or whatever, you know, and what's going to happen? They're going to get eaten alive, right? They're going to get worked because that's not their job. They're not called to be the player. They're called to be the coaches, the equippers. And so then it's up to us to say, okay, well, then we're the ones that actually have to go out there and win the game. We're the ones that are going to play. And so that's what Ephesians is going to be talking about this morning. But if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 4, and we're just going to read verses 11 through 13. And it says, He is the one who gave these gifts to the church, meaning God. God is the one that gave us these gifts. And he's going to talk about what these gifts are. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's us, their responsibility is to equip us to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. See, we're supposed to be the ones building up the body of Christ and doing the work of the ministry, which is serving. And then verse 13 says, Until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will become mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Okay, what we're looking at is is God's given us gifts in the church, people. Their role in the church is to be our coaches. And we need to recognize that. We need to say, I need that. I see the value of that because I'm having a hard time playing this game on my own. Who is it that's pouring into me, that's teaching me, that's growing me, that's coaching me on what to do in my life? And so he, kinda, he kind of names five different little groups here, groups of people or roles of, of people in the church that are here to be our coaches. The first one is the apostles. If you guys are taking notes, if you write down on the side, apostles, their main job is to govern. Okay, Apostles are to govern. Basically, the word apostle means it's one who is sent out. Someone that's a, a messenger. Someone that's sent out from somewhere else with a specific task to do. And the Bible itself, the way they use the word apostle, it's, I was even looking in the commentaries because they use it in a lot of different ways. And it's, it says, this word apostle is very obscure. And that it means a bunch of different things. 
If you want to go in the strictest technical sense, specifically, the word apostle applies to the 12 that Jesus specifically sent out into the world to go minister for him. The people that were with Jesus, that he said, you are my apostles, I'm sending you out to go spread my message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you want to get technical, it applies to those 12 guys. But in a more general and broad sense, it applies to anybody like the Apostle Paul, like Timothy, James, guys that were sent out later to, later to, to spread the message. But it also can be applied to people in our church nowadays that basically have the same giftings and the same calling as those original 12. And basically the apostles in the church, our prime example would be my dad. When you look over there on the wall and you see all of the churches and every, everything that's come out of Hope Chapel, and there's over 300 of them in the world today, you'd have to say Ralph Moore is an apostle. He's someone that has that same gifting of the early apostles to plant churches. He has a heart to bring structure, to start churches and to form structure and to form organization around them. So we need the apostles because otherwise, can you imagine if there's just Christianity in the world and there's all of us out there saying, yeah, we should go do something good for God. Yeah, we should like meet together once in a while. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you do it. No, you do it. No, what, when should we get together? I don't know, but we need to do it, right? Yeah. And see, all of us would just be like, well, we want to serve you, God. We want to know what to do. But it takes the apostles who come along and say, you know what? This is where we're going to establish a church. Let's meet here every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock or 8 o'clock. Oh, that's a good idea. You know what? Let's, let's establish a local pastor that can be your, your nurturer and your shepherd. Oh, yeah, that's good too. And let's have a heart for starting other churches all around the world in different places. Oh, hey, that's great. And see, the apostle's job is to, to, to provide the structure for us. And the structure of this church is we do many churches real heavily. How is my dad going to be able to meet personal needs of everybody in this church? Well, he's, he's gifted with structurally thinking, let's break it down into these smaller groups, these mini churches, or these J groups where we minister to each other. But anyway, we're getting back to this. And the apostles are the ones that organize. You guys ever tried to go out on like a Friday or Saturday night with a group of friends and no one knows how to plan it? Everyone's like, hey, let's go out tonight. Yeah, okay. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. How about you decide? Oh, no, let's call this other guy and he'll decide. And you get like five or ten friends together, but no one knows what to do. You know, you're all just, you're all waiting for the other one to call you. And all you do is call back and forth for like half an hour and no one really knows what's up. And finally, one guy gets frustrated and just goes, you know what, let's get some structure going here. Let's all meet over here at this time. I'll make the reservations at the restaurant. You drive. Let's carpool. And someone is always the, the, the one that's kind of the designated organizer, right? You guys, you guys know how that works, right? Because some of us are so lazy. Yeah, we want to go out there, but someone do it for us, you know? And it's the guy that steps up and organizes it all. And that's the job of the apostles. The apostles are, are here in our lives and in the church to say, well, let's form churches. Let's form some structure here so things get, get going on time. And let's put the right people into the right leadership positions. Let's not just have free-for-all here. So that's what the apostles do. The second one is the prophets. And what the prophets do, key word here, is they guide they guide us. And the word prophet actually means to spring forth as out of a fountain, to flow as if out of a fountain, to, to utter and to be like a seer. It's that, it's that they're bubbling forth with God's message into our lives. And what a, what a prophet does is they hear directly from God and they give his word through, through people. Because see, we have the word of God in the Bible and we, we kind of receive it from there and we try to live our lives like that. The prophet's job is to come alongside and say, are you taking the truth that's in the Bible and are you applying it correctly? Is, is your church headed in the right direction? Or there's these people that God puts in our church that will come alongside and say, hey, you know what? This is where I think God's calling you to be. You're kind of off track a little bit. Here, it's time to get back on track. The job of the, the prophet, and many of you guys have people in your lives that, are, that speak prophetically. They'll come alongside and they'll encourage you and they'll guide you back onto 
the course that you're supposed to be on. They'll come along, they'll encourage, they'll build you up. Maybe they'll convict you of things that are going on in your life. Sometimes it's even a mild rebuke, but it's things that we need to hear that we know is from God and that God still speaks through his people. And so he uses these people. I've had prophetic words over my life in uh, lots of different situations, in dating relationships, in my ministry, in different things. And every time someone came and they gave the word right at the right time, and I just knew it was God, and it brought me into a whole new area of blessing because I know that I'm on track and I'm staying guided into His direction. So we need the prophets in our lives. We need them to be telling us and helping us along the way. And there's a couple of scriptures for that if you want to write down. 1 Corinthians 14.3 and Ephesians 2.20. And it talks about prophecy and why we need them. See, even... Even in our church, there's people that speak into the, the life and the ministry of my dad and of the staff. Um, and there's people that come, come along and will say, you know what, this is what I think God is saying, and this is where the church needs to be going. And what we're supposed to do with the word of prophecy is the first thing is we're supposed to test it, right? We're supposed to listen to it, and we're supposed to test it. Because even, even people that, that work in that role of prophets will tell you, I'm not 100%, but all I do is I speak on what God gives me. And sometimes I might be a little bit off, but for the most part I'm on. But you need to test it. You need to make sure that it lines up with the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit is saying in your life. But the prophets are there to come alongside and to coach us and to say, hey, you know what, your, your game's a little shaky over here. You need to, to fix it. You need to practice a little bit more over here. And they guide us. The next one is the evangelists. And the key word there is, the ga- is gather. Their job is to gather people. The evangelist is one who proclaims the good news. And you see, these are the people in our church that have a a burning desire to see people saved. They have such a burden for the lost that there's there's a couple girls in in my um, wife's youth mini church that have been recently saved this past year, and they just have the gift of evangelists written all over them. Because all they do every day is just go to school and, and just they're like, all my friends are going to hell, I gotta get them. I gotta get everyone, I gotta save them. My family's going to hell. Do you realize how heavy that is? And we're like going, okay, calm down, calm down, you know, take it easy. But they just have such a burning to the point of like their friends are like, okay, take it easy, leave me alone. But they're like, I'm not gonna be satisfied until everyone I know knows Jesus. And it's their job to just go out there and just to gather, bring them all into the family. And not only do they have a passion for it, but God has, has put in them the gift of evangelism, which is they actually see results. Because a lot of us can say, yeah, I'd like to see my friends saved. But the, those with the gift of evangelism are constantly bringing people into the family of God. Constantly, oh, here's my new friend this week. And you're like, whoa, another one? Wow, how'd you do that? You know? And there's this one kid in my youth ministry. He's about 18 years old, just graduated. But he's a full-on evangelist everywhere he goes. He's not satisfied with bringing one person at a time. Like, I'll be, I'll be stoked if I can lead one person to the Lord. You know, I meet someone, and, and like, I get to talk to him and lead him to the Lord. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. Look, I'm good. I'm awesome. I led someone to the Lord. And he's all, oh, yeah, that's one. That's good. Well, if we got these three people saved, I'm working on them. Then they could lead us to these seven over here. Then we'll get, like, half the Kalahale surf team saved. Then we can do this. And he's, he's just, he's got all these big goals of, like, he's not satisfied with one person at a time. He's all about, let's get them all. And I'm going, wow, you're the evangelist. And you know what? He's been bringing them all. He's been discipling them. They're all getting saved. And he, he went on a trip to Arizona. I may have shared this already. He went on a trip to Arizona the other week to visit his grandparents. And he found out his grandparents don't know Jesus. So he's just all over his grandfather's case the whole time he's there. Just going, hey, you know what? There is a plan for your life. You need to know God. I don't care how old you are. It's never too late. You need to da-da-da. And he just starts nailing him. And his grandfather's like, okay, when are you going home, kid? You know? But... <laughs> He's working on him, and he's calling him. He's, he's working on his grandfather. He's never going to be satisfied until everybody is saved. And on his flight home, he sits next to this Muslim guy, right? 
And it's all over for this guy. You know, he said, so you go to church? Oh, well, I'm Muslim. Oh, really? Well, you know, that's not the right way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. And he starts laying into this guy for like five hours on the flight home, you know? And, and I'm going, oh, no. Inside, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. You probably scared this guy away. And then he goes, no. Then, then when we left, the guy said, hey, it was really good talking with you. It was really interesting. And this kid hasn't been like this leader his whole life, knowing all the theology. He's only been walking strongly with the Lord for the past year. But all that he knows, he's given to this guy. He's given to this Muslim guy. And at the end of the conversation, the guy goes, you know what? That was really good talking to me. You know what? If you can continue to convince me that your God is the one true God, then I'll convert to your religion. I will convert to Christianity. So here's my email address. Here's my phone number. Let's keep in touch. And I'm just going, that is a gift of evangelism. See, they they're not only have that passion out there, but they have the results that people are drawn to them and people are coming into the kingdom. But why do we need those evangelists in our midst? Why can't we just leave it up to them and we just forget about it? Let, let those like on fire guys go do all the work. They need to be the ones that coach us because God has given every single one of us the calling and the responsibility to be evangelists. Now, those, there's going to be those people that just shine and they do the job so well and that's the gift they have. But he says every one of us is to go into all the world and make disciples of all men. See, we're not supposed to just let them do all the work. And we need them. We need those coaches in our lives to stir us up. When I was a, a young high school student, and, and my youth pastor at the time was Jeff McKay, who went on to be a pastor of Hope Chapel Mililani. Then he went over to Japan. He's pastoring churches in, in a church in Osaka right now. But awesome guy. He was my, one of my first youth pastors. But his deal was he was an evangelist. Everywhere he would go, he would lead people to the Lord. We'd be out surfing um, on a Monday morning. The staff used to always go on their day off and go surfing. And my dad would take me along and stuff. And there's Jeff out there. He'd just start talking to some kid in the water. And we're all hanging, doing our thing, surfing. And there's Jeff talking to this guy. Then he paddles in. We get into the beach. By the time we're at the beach, he goes, hey, I'd like to welcome you, uh, uh, introduce you guys all to the newest member of our family. And we're like, what? He just led the guy to the Lord just right there. And we're like, wow. And he would take us down to Waikiki, you know, the kids, and try to teach us all, hey, it's, it's part of every believer's responsibility to, to be a witness to other people. Take us to Waikiki and just witness on the streets. And we're just freaking out, you know, we're scared little freshmen or whatever. And like, just go up to them and ask them if they know Jesus and read them through the four spiritual laws and talk all this. And we're like, you know, me and Tom Tom would be all scared and stuff. And, and like, I remember one time we asked, um, do you guys know Jesus? And then this old lady just goes, no, get that stuff out of my face. And we're like, you know, we wanted to cry. Ah, you know, and so we're all scared and stuff. But Jeff's just down there and he's just having success, just leading people to the Lord. Hey, come check out our church. And I'm just going, wow. But what they do for us is they coach us and they stir us up to say, you could be doing more. You could be speaking out loud a little bit more. You could be praying for people on the street a little bit more. Get out of your comfort zone and do something for God. So we need them to coach us as well. And then it goes on to the pastors. The pastor's main job is to guard, is to guard the church. And the word that's used for pastor all over the Bible is synonymous with the word that's shepherd. And the word shepherd is, is the image of what you see, a shepherd and a sheep. It's that the shepherd is there to protect the flock from the wild animals, to lead them to the nice, lush grass where they can be fed and nurtured and nourished, to lead them to water, to watch over them at night, and that he has a calm, still voice, that all of his sheep, they know his voice, and they trust him. They'll go wherever he leads them. And so the job of, of the pastors in our church and, and the shepherds is that we would all say, I trust this guy and where he's going. And I know that he's going to be giving me nourishment on the word of God. And I know that he has my best interest in mind. And so that we could follow those pastors in our church. The word shepherd, as I was looking this thing up, is talking about in World War II, um, they called a certain kind of pilot a shepherd. 
Now when a plane would kind of be injured or their navigational system broken or just engine problems, they get shot or something and they weren't sure if they were going to make it back to the carrier or back to the base, they would send a guy out there that would be called the shepherd. And he was just another pilot. They would come within visual contact and fly right side by side with that kind of hurting, distressed plane and lead them back visually to the, the carrier or to the base. And it was his job to shepherd the broken or hurting plane back to the base. And it's that same image that we see why we need pastors. As we need people there that as we're growing and learning in the Lord, that they can shepherd us and they can nurture us and they can guide us back to where we need to be. Um, I can think of the, all the pastors in my life, the youth pastors. John Honnold was one of my youth pastors. But he was a guy that, that there was a couple big times in my teenage years where I was kind of wounded and kind of shaky in my walk with the Lord and not sure if I was going to you know, come back on track here. And he walked me through it. He was that shepherd that came alongside and said, you know what, here's what you need to do. Let me pray for you. Let me strengthen you. Let me be that wingman, that, that guy that's going to walk with you back into the right relationship with the Lord. So that's what the pastors do for us. They, they coach us and they, they guard us and they protect us. And then the, the teachers, the teachers, their job is to grow. Their job is to grow us. And why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a, it's a special gift from God to have someone that can take the mysteries and the heavy theology and just the, the intricate complexity of the Word of God, the Bible. When we read it, sometimes we're like, I, I don't get it. Wow, that's, that's too much. It's too heavy. I, I don't understand that. It's a special gift that God gives to some people that, that says, you know what, I can take what the Word of God says and study it, and then I can then teach it and apply it to people's lives so they can sit in church every Sunday morning or whenever and go, Oh, that's what that means. Wow, suddenly the Bible has come alive because through the Holy Spirit's gift on someone as a teacher, they can make it understandable. And see, one of the biggest things in my life is that I, I, I reluctantly recognize that I have a gift of teaching, that I never wanted to do this because in, in the, my natural giftings, that's not something I ever wanted to do. I freak out if I have to stand up in front of people. And the, you know, the first speech I ever made in sixth grade, I had to quit in the middle of it and go home sick because I'm just, oh, you know, people are looking at me. And, and I just couldn't do it. And that's not something I like to do. But I see that over the years, God has said, I'm giving you this gift and you have to use it for me because I expect you to use it. And so every week when I have to stand up, even now, in front of just the youth service, you know, every Sunday, it's just like, up until that time, I'm hating it. I'm like, oh no, what am I going to have to say? I don't have anything to say. Who am I, God? And, and then when I get up there and it comes out and I just feel the Spirit just talking through me, and I'm going, what am I saying? What's going on? How is this possible? And then afterwards, it's like, wow, thank you, God. Thank you that I got to use a gift that you've given me. And it's touching people's lives and seeing kids get saved and seeing them grow in the Lord. And that's a gift that I have to recognize. I have it, so I got to use it. And it's not bragging because, again, there's no way I could do that on my own power. But it's only the Holy Spirit through me that's enabling me and saying, this is your gift, Carl. I've given it to you, and you've got to go use this. And one of the biggest compliments I've had from teaching the Word is one of the kids in the youth group recently bought the Life Application Bible. How many of you guys have the Life Application Bible? And it's the cool Bible. It's the one I use. That it, it's cool because it has all the scripture at the top, but then has all these really neat notes at the bottom that describe everything that the Bible's talking about, and it applies it to your life. It tells you, okay, here's what Jesus said. Are you living it? And it's like, whoa, it's good. It challenges us, and it, it makes us grow. And it, but it also walks through with all of these notes and stuff, and it says, back in the Hebrew culture, da-da-da-da-da, you know, and it takes you through all of it so you can have a better understanding of the Bible. Well, one of the greatest compliments I got recently was um, one of the guys in the youth ministry told someone else, hey, I just got this life application Bible. It's really cool. It's got all these notes that explains everything. And he goes, yeah, that's cool. He goes, well, this is what it's like. It's like when I'm at home reading my Bible, 
it's like Carl's right there in my room with me, <laughs> explaining it to me. And I go, wow, that's, that's a cool compliment that he's saying, I, I can make the Bible understandable to him and I can walk him through it. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. He's like, yes, I read my Bible. It's like Carl's right there in my room with me, explaining it all to me. I thought, that's pretty neat. But see, the job of the teachers is to make the Bible that sometimes can be so like, oh, it's so complex, and bring the Word of God into a way that people can go, well, that makes sense. I can live that. I can apply that to my life. And see, who is the greatest master teacher of all time? Jesus, right? He was the very Son of God that could have been saying all these things in the heavenly realms and using all these spiritual terms, and people would have just been going, what are you talking about? You're from another planet. Well, almost, you know, I'm from somewhere else. But he, he said, you know what? Let me break it down to you. Let me talk to you about the faith the size of a mustard seed. Or he tells the terrible, the parables. You know, what if you had 10 talents or 10 gold coins? And he broke everything down to such a, a basic, understandable level that people could go, oh, this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. I get it. So that's a gift to the, the, the teachers. That that's what they have, why they're a gift to us. So all of these different things that we see here, these five apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we need to recognize that they're the coaches in our lives, in our church. They're the ones that are going to guide us. What did I say? Govern, guide, gather, guard, and grow us. They're the ones that are going to pour into our lives and tell us, okay, we're here to equip you. And as we just read, it says their job is to equip us so that we can go out there and do the work. So all they are is simply the coaches. So they're the ones that just tell us, here's how you play the game, and here's how you win the game. But here's here's a call that, that comes to us, secondly, is if they're the coaches, then we're the players, and in verse 12, it says, if their responsibility is to equip God's people, our responsibility is to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And how do we do that? Well, the word ministry here that it uses in other translations, it says to do works of ministry. Again, I want you guys to get the image of a minister in your head right now, what you think of when you hear the word minister. And I want you to just break that thing down. Because what a lot of us have in our heads is the thought of the minister is the leader of the church. He's the pastor. It's the missionary. It's the big leader out there. And what God is saying right here is that, no, I put equippers in the church, but I've also put ministers in the church. And the minister isn't who you think it is. The minister is right here sitting next to you, is right here when you look at yourself in the mirror. You guys are the ministers of the church. That the body of Christ is the ones that's supposed to go out there and minister to people. Not the, not the equippers. The equippers just teach us how to go do it. And I, I want to walk you guys through the book of Acts real quick. The first eight chapters and what we see in there. And this is, this is a perfect example of the equippers versus the ministers. See that in Acts chapter 1, it talks about... Jesus was this guy that came and did all the stuff, the Son of God. He was here for us. He died for our sins. And it says, but then before he left, he gave us the Great Commission. You need to go out into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he gave us a job to do. You need to go out there into the world and spread the message. But then he also said, before you do that, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes in your life because he's going to be the one that's going to lead you, guide you, and empower you to do it. So here's the believers, a small gathering of the believers, 120 of them, sitting around praying in the upper room, going, okay, God, we're, we're waiting for you. Send us the Holy Spirit. We want to get out there and do your work. Well, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had ascended back to heaven, and he told them, wait for the power. So seven weeks later in Acts chapter 2 is when we read about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, and he empowered everyone, and he, he gave them the ability to go out there and to spread his word, to be bold witnesses. And so you see the, the power of the Holy Spirit coming on everyone. Well, then in, in chapters 3 through 7, a, a time span of about five years, 
Chapters 3 through 7, what do you see? You see the power of the Holy Spirit came on the church, and you saw all of these young believers suddenly growing and becoming equipped. And the apostles were teaching them, and they were hanging out with them, and they were leading them, and there was prophecy, and there's all of these five equippers, they were going at it with the church. And the church was growing, and 3,000 were added to their number in one day, and all this stuff was happening. But they're all sitting there in Jerusalem. And they're all just getting happy and equipped and feeling good and sharing with each other and tithing and loving and da da da. But they were just sitting there. They're sitting just in Jerusalem. And remember, Jesus said, Hey, I want you to go out to all the world and I want you to go out there and spread my message. And they're all going, Wow, this is great. We're a family. Everything's loving. We're getting more believers. Evangelism. Yeah, it's cool. And we're all sitting in Jerusalem. But then here's what happened five years later in, in chapter eight the church came under persecution. Stephen was martyred for the faith. The first Christian martyr, right? He was stoned to death. They killed him. And suddenly the church freaked out. And they're like, wow, it's breaking up our family. So what happens in Acts chapter 8? The church all the, says all the believers fled into Judea, Samaria, and into the rest of the world. But it says one interesting thing. All but the apostles fled outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 